Hey everybody, welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. Well, here goes another episode as part of my attempt to revive this podcast in some form that's still being worked out after going dormant for a year. For those who don't know me, uh, I'm a lifelong political nerd with a background in international security policy and experience working in the U.S. domestic political space. Uh, having also lived a number of years uh, outside the U.S. and various other countries, I feel I'm fairly well positioned to shed light for some of my American listeners on uh, important events going on outside the U.S. and interpret for my listeners who live in other parts of the world uh, just what exactly is going on in my own country. So, in my last episode, I discussed the uh, referendums being held in several Ukrainian territories that are currently either semi-occupied or fully occupied by uh, Russian forces. Yesterday, or a few days ago, depending on when you're listening to this, the results were announced, and shocker, almost everyone in those territories wants more than anything else in the whole world to become Russians. Aggressive immigration, let's call it. Uh, I mentioned in the last episode uh, that I was hoping to be able to talk about this with somebody who could give a more personal, on-the-ground look at what that will mean for the people in those territories, and I'm thrilled to be able to, in fact, bring you that conversation right here in just a minute. But before then, there is some uh, more relevant news that's broken uh, since that conversation happened. So today, or again, maybe a few days ago, depending on when you're listening to this, in a weird sort of cross between a high school football pep rally and a Nuremberg rally, Putin gave yet another insane speech, full-on alternative universe conspiracy theory mode, basically his usual screed against the West, complete with some anti-woke stuff thrown in there to titillate his Republican Twitter fans. The point of this speech was to announce the annexation of these Ukrainian territories. The weird thing uh, about this is that his troops are actively losing ground there and definitely don't have full control of these areas. So let's be clear. These territories, regardless of the result of these sham staged referendums, regardless of what the Kremlin says, regardless of what the Russian Duma says, these territories are not part of Russia. No matter how many draftees Putin deploys there, or now how many Russian families Putin buses in to live there to make it seem more Russian, no one will recognize these territories as legitimately part of Russia, and any country that does will almost certainly be sanctioned into the ground and deserve it. But although the Russian government operates as though it's in an alternate universe, the consequences of the way it operates tend to land uh, on this one, unfortunately. They're going to just declare these territories to be Russia, meaning in their eyes, any attempt by the Ukrainians to reclaim them will be an attack on the Russian homeland, which, per one interpretation of Russia's military doctrine, gives them the green light to start using nuclear weapons. Oh, yeah, that's another thing Putin was unsubtly hinting at in his insane speech. I legitimately think that we are right now closer to a nuclear war than we've been at any point in world history since the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962. And Khrushchev was not a delusional, narcissistic lunatic bent on restoring the Russian Empire based on some ahistorical reading of the last couple of decades. So this is all basically terrifying, uh, terrifying at a geopolitical level. But this episode isn't about that. Uh, today I want to share with you a conversation I had with my friend uh, Katya Firsova. Uh, Katya is from Donetsk. Uh, this is interesting first and foremost because Donetsk is one of the eastern Ukrainian territories Putin just declared to be, you know, Russia now. But even more than that, it's already been effectively under Russian occupation since 2014, 
when Russia cleverly fooled everyone by removing the Russian flags from their military uniforms before they invaded and took over this province with help uh, of some domestic pro-Russian separatists. Talking to Katya sheds light uh, on what life has been like living under Russian control for almost a decade. This is a perspective, I think, that is fairly unique even among Ukrainians, because although all of Ukraine has been having to resist the Russian invaders since February of this year, Katya has been going through this um, on and off as she's uh, come and gone from that territory for like eight years. Spoiler alert, it's not an especially fun experience. Uh, so with that, I'm going to just go straight into it. Uh, so now I bring you my conversation with Katya. Uh, so we got the super unexpected, um, totally out of left field news today that the referendums being held in various territories in Ukraine in the East that are partially occupied uh, by Russian forces uh, have voted overwhelmingly to join the Russian Federation. So uh, before discussing that, um, I wondered if you could just give our audience uh, a little bit of an introduction as to who you are and where you're from. Yes. Uh, hi, Oliver. Uh, thank you for uh, inviting me to your podcast. Uh, I'm Katya. Uh, I'm from Ukraine, uh, specifically from Donetsk. Uh, and uh, I'm actually uh, the person who were in the beginning of occupation in 2013. And uh, then while moving to, uh, to other city of Ukraine, which wasn't under occupation, still visiting my homeland and uh, could see uh, what was happening uh, to my hometown. And uh, that's why I'm here and um, probably can share some experience. It's my personal views. Uh, I'm not a political expert uh, yet, uh, just a person who lived through it um. almost more than eight years. and. So then, with that being the case, uh, can you can you just give us a little bit of your well, tell us your reaction to the news, uh, whether expected or not, uh, uh, the news of the referendum's results from today? Well, um, it's uh, it's kind of um, expected because it's totally. Uh, like uh, a setup scenarios uh, by Russia. Uh, so I had no any other expectations how it will be voted, how will be the results. Mm, because um, basically when you see uh, videos, how people with guns come into uh, your home and uh, asking you to vote. Uh, so it's kind of, uh, you can expect uh, what result will be. Um, so this results, uh, my first reaction was like, this is uh, hilarious uh, numbers. Uh, Didn't, wasn't and, it something uh, like 90% in every single one of them? Yes, 90, 93, uh, somewhere in the regions uh, which was occupied quite recently, it was like 87. <laughs> so it's kind of, um, it's I... uh, kind of shocking. I, I shudder to think what happened to the like 12% of people who voted no in the open in a room surrounded by Russian military and separatist militia. Um, well. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to imagine it. 
I salute those brave souls. Uh, and, um, but as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, you are from Donetsk, which is not in quite the same position as some of the other regions that just had their uh, their elections, uh, in quotes, over the last uh, week or so, in that Donetsk was invaded by what well, the Russians pretended not to be Russians when they invaded by basically taking the flags off of their uniforms. But, you know, for anyone who's listening who isn't aware of this, which is hard to imagine at this point, but... Russia invaded and bit off this chunk of Ukraine in 2014. And so can you just tell us a little bit about what the experience has been like in that part of the country for the last eight years up until now? Um, Yes, as you said, uh, it's exactly like a bit different situation for recently occupied regions and for uh, my region, which was occupied a long time ago. Uh, What situation... um, is there how I can describe it? It's mostly um, a worsening situation year uh, with year, gradually becoming only worse um, uh, and uh, stuff. <laughs> so, um, well, uh, we we might not uh, compare uh, the referendums, for example, in the, uh, in these regions uh, who who was recently occupied, and also the Donetsk region, uh, because, for example, in the Donetsk region, which is uh, occupied for eight years, more than eight years already, uh, it is kind of um, where, where Russians. Uh, arrived uh, where are people who get in Russian passports and uh, kind of uh, connect into Russia. So, so well, basically, yeah. Well, I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to dig more into that in a minute, but I mean, just to drill down to a more basic level, I think yeah. the majority of the people listening to this podcast have never been in a war, have never lived in a country yeah. that's been invaded by another country, uh, have never experienced, I although I know I, I see... Uh, <laughs> I see from uh, from the podcast analytics that there are a couple of people in Russia who listen to this podcast. Thanks, guys. Uh, that um, you know, with the exception of those people, uh, you know, or or anyone who happens to be listening to this that's from a country that's been invaded before, almost nobody has been. Can you just speak a little bit to the experience of like what changed in Donetsk? Be, you know, for, like from two thousand before two thousand thirteen or fourteen, and then after, like, what was that experience like of having your part of the country be? taken over effectively by by people that were backed by the russians uh yes i I must say um a bit emotionally but my personal experience when i went there after occupation it's basically can be summarized in one phrase um the city has been has died Uh, basically it's uh, the only feeling that um, i could perceive there after occupation after i went back uh, to visit my hometown and if you uh, see uh, to the daily life, um, basically, for example, uh, when Ukrainian products uh, from supermarkets uh, went away and their state, uh, like, for example, uh, R- Russian and Belarus- Belarusian products all over the place. Uh, when, for example, right now there is no water and, and they give water only once um, in three days for two hours so people can wash uh, themselves there is no water in hospitals and for example if someone gives birth there is basically no water only which was saved earlier for some purposes but uh, 
eventually uh, people what they do right now they're going to reverse to grab water in order to have some technical let's say water and if you want to drink water you need to buy it so there is no water in the taps for example um, about um, uh, other situations it's it's uh, constant uh, bombs uh, constant uh, like uh, sounds uh, of bombings. So basically, when I was at home, I um, found it difficult uh, to to be there. Uh, however, people there um, they get used to it. So basically, they are kind of coping and uh, with it every day. They are going to their work. Uh, they are living in war like a lot of years. So um, basically, if I'm understanding you correctly conditions worsened considerably after after the takeover in 2014 of the for the sake of the audience Donetsk People's Republic which is to say Russians uh so conditions worsened and have continued to worsen since then but you think the people there have largely just kind of adapted to you know having to get water out of the river instead of out of the tap <laughs> to summarize uh yes uh, exactly I don't uh, think that situation anyhow like getting better. Um, so, with this being the case, then in a lot of ways, you're the like the war that that we think of as having started in February of this last year is not really the same for you. I mean, it started eight years ago, from your perspective. No. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, in February, it started mostly the second part of war, the second phase of war for me, because the first war started for me a long time ago. And uh, yeah, it wasn't my first time when I seen bombings. And uh, yeah. So in, in this region, it's been controlled by the, you know, by the Russians effectively since 2014. Um, you described the conditions. Do you think that public opinion in those in Donetsk has changed at all um, in, in terms of how they feel about the Russians like between then and now? Um, let me give you uh, some overview which may help understand uh, a little bit how situation uh, looks like. Basically, when occupation uh, happened, uh, there were indeed, for example, people who were uh, directly pro-Ukrainian and people who were directly pro-Russian. Basically, uh, it wasn't a, a, like a monolith society only of people who think that they belong to Ukraine. Uh, we, I won't be lying say, uh, in saying that there are only were pro-Ukrainian powers. So basically, when the occupation started, uh, there obvious for obvious reasons, uh, people who were um, more pro-Ukrainian, they, they flee to the... Um, not, not occupied territories uh, to other cities of Ukraine, nearest cities or other cities. Other parts who were pro-Russian, they uh, took the occupation well positively because it's kind of they're uh, going to their dream. They're dreaming to join the Russia. Mostly it was like a small amount of people on the main uh, square. <laughs> but I suppose that uh, um, Russia um, brought more of them uh, to, to enhance uh, their let's call it power so but this was uh, this is this is today you're talking about no it's i'm, I'm talking about how the situation was starting oh, gotcha. because for example when everything was starting uh, i myself uh, went to uh, um, meeting um, 
like for Ukraine and uh, like in the um, in the other side of the road there was a meeting uh, for Russia and basically it was like two bunch of people who were in control of each other but uh, when uh, then um, there were tanks entering the city basically uh, pro-Ukrainian powers didn't have uh, for that moment uh, we didn't have so um, so strong army we didn't have like uh, a lot of support with armor so people who were belonging and feeling ukrainians they mostly flee to other cities uh, which wasn't under occupation uh, some of them stayed as far as i know i ha have some connections uh, and uh, some of them who stayed and who are were pro-ukrainian uh, they for several years they had expectations for example that ukraine will come and deoccupy the territory mm -hmm. however it wasn't possible so um, basically as i see they also at some point started losing hope to that and started like thinking of this idea to join the russia only for the sake of the peace come mm -hmm. it's not so much about um like being a patriot of one of the countries for most of the people it's more about when the war can um, end yeah in so, so basically for for the people in donetsk who are not like russian patriots they basically have just kind of been worn down is what you're saying yes they they were staying uh quiet um i suppose there are uh, some um by this day but obviously they're like don't express their opinion and uh, that is it yeah that is it. i assume i know you're you're from there and not from any of the other regions where they had their little referendums over the last little while but i assume you would describe that as being different in donetsk versus in zaporizhia or kherson or i, for, I honestly i forget the fourth yes kherson uh, zaporizhia luhansk and donetsk I, I would definitely say so. Uh, actually, um, my roots are from Zaporizhia. So um, I spent uh, like my childhood in Zaporizhia when uh, we uh, were uh, speaking like, for example, only Ukrainian. And uh, it was a very traditional um, region for me. Um, and I um, I definitely sure that the cities perceived um, differently uh, how uh, it's happening. Um, because the Parisia that was occupied uh, like a few weeks ago, a few months uh, ago, like it, it can be voting uh, like 90% um, to join Russia. Uh, it's, it's just uh, looks like uh, a joke. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's different, uh, uh, different situations and we not uh, compare them at all. Mm. Mm -hmm. So with, with that being the case, do you think that the, well, so we expect that um, in the next couple of days, probably tomorrow, that uh, Putin is going to give a speech where he announces the annexation of these territories and there will be some rubber stamping inside of Russia. But like, so you've told us a little bit about how life changed in Donetsk between like before and after it was bitten off by the Russians in 2014. Do you think that very much will change there when Donetsk, you know, at least according to Russia, formally joins Russia or will life on the ground there not change very much? 
Um, I think uh, in Donetsk, uh, the life won't change a lot because uh, kind of all uh, structures, uh, people uh, in uh, power, they were uh, pro-Russian already or yeah. Russians. So basically in Donetsk, uh, it uh, won't uh, change like uh, a lot. Um, mostly, they, I, I think the most uh, noticeable change will be that uh, all people will be obligated to receive Russian passports. Mm-hmm. because this is kind of like several past years kind of implications of this already started yeah. and basically uh, it was presented like an opportunity but now I think it will be uh, like an obligation gotcha. um, so and from other uh, part I think that Russia may want to help somehow with humanitarian help because they do it uh, like sometimes sending something uh, to these regions they occupied and uh, for example, for the Parisian and Kherson region, I think there will be a, a lot of changes uh, because, as I said, the feeling of the city before occupation and after occupation uh, life, it's, it's a total diff- different uh, feelings. So people there will notice the change. So... This might be a stupid question. I'm not even sure whether or not it is, but I'm going to ask it just in case anyway. Uh, so in 2014, when Ukraine effectively lost Crimea and Donetsk to the Russians, um, right. I know Ukraine basically has, I think, thought of itself as being in a low-level war with the Russians in those limited territories since then. But like there wasn't an overwhelming response. There was never a full like reinvasion by the Ukrainians of those territories. Do you think that the response this time to these will be taken more seriously, I guess, than what happened in 2014, given the context? Um, do I understand your question correctly? You mean if uh, Russia annex uh, territories, if Ukraine will be counterattacking? Uh, like uh, widely yeah I guess if the response will be more aggressive than was the case in 14 I would uh, I would say so um, definitely uh, but probably um, uh, with the time taken for a bit of a strategy uh, because uh, the next scenario for example which we also can presume uh, is when these territories um, annexed uh, there, there will be uh, again tanks. Uh, there will be again armors, um, like uh, armors from Russia entering. So basically, um, it will be Russia's Russia's bloodstorms. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if this word in English, but like uh, where, where they can put their armors. Yeah. And um, from that perspective, it will be, I suppose, I'm not a military expert, but I suppose it will be um, more complications for Ukraine as they will have a uh, very close uh, tanks and uh, um, armors. Uh, but still, um, I think our army, it's not anymore like it was in 2014. We have a huge support from different countries and especially from USA. So um, I think um, it will be different this uh, this time. Um, I, I have no uh, like um, expectations and um, 
I mean, like fantasies that it will be deoccupied like just in once. Unfortunately, wars never like this. Uh, but uh, I think the response, uh, we, we will provide the response to that. A darker question. Are A darker. You... <laughs> yeah, everything up until this point has been, has been pretty, um, pretty positive and light. Uh, but do you imagine, are you concerned about people in the newly occupied territories being drafted into the Russian military and being sent to fight against other Ukrainians? Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's actually a complicated question because, uh, for example, mm, I might think so um, if it was, for example, in 2014, uh, regarding this concrete uh, invasion in February and when I saw how people like uh, united uh, in front of the war, I think uh, territories that was recently occupied um, will be uh, resisting. People there uh, can resist and can uh, do it uh, not uh, in an open manner, but uh, more like in a hidden ways, but still uh, to resist. Um, and anyhow, uh, if uh, they will be uh, mobilized, uh, it's pretty widely known that uh, the first uh, way, the first thing you need to do is basically to to give yourself up if you were sent to U U Ukrainian uh, army, uh, like uh, to, to battle Ukrainian army. Uh, there is an algorithm how you can give up like immediately and. Uh, Maybe you will be lucky enough uh, with a white uh, flag and not um, to get shot and not to get killed. Basically, this is like it. Um, in my region, in Donetsk, for example, um, earlier uh, Russia, Russia also started mobilization. Mm. So, yeah, and earlier it was uh, when war only started, I mean, the second uh, phase of war in February, it was more, um, what to say, uh, involuntarily obligation, uh, like to to join uh, the army of People Republic. Uh, you 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 were walking on the street and they could take you. Uh, for now, they're sending uh, um, this list uh, from the um, war precincts. In order, you need to came to join the military forces of People's Republic and Russia. When this goes through in a couple of days, when at least according to the Russians, Donetsk officially becomes part of the Russian Federation, mm -hmm. will you ever be able to go back there? No. I, I won't be able to go back there. For example, First, because uh, it's kind of uh, front line, like uh, when the war is going on. Also, uh, because um, we, uh, I'm not sure if we already, I think, yeah, we already finished all diplomatic connections with Russia. Uh, and uh, I'm, I don't think it will be like without problems and even with any aim to go there, uh, unfortunately. So, 
yeah it will be uh, like a part of other country however uh, not ukraine not me uh, will never admit it because um, it's totally not um, uh, it's an annexation it's not uh, something that is provided with law I mean, uh, what processes uh, could be there? I don't know. It's like you don't uh, supposed to uh, eat part of uh, other country, uh, like yeah. annex. So no that, processes. Yeah. Yet. That is basically the, the one internationally agreed upon thing at this point. Um, yes. So does this, what does this mean in terms of, is will your family try to leave or are, I forget, are they out already? Uh, no, they are still there. I think, uh, yes, there will be a, an eventual uh, like decision to leave. They still have their home there, but uh, yeah, uh, I don't uh, consider any other options for them to leave eventually. Uh, but in order them to leave, uh, they need to have where to live. <laughs> yeah. As far as uh, war here and there, and it's uh, kind of um, nowhere to live. Yeah. We were having, for example, a family uh, in Zaporizhia and we were thinking to live there. <laughs> but as far as you know, it's also occupied now. So uh, this is it. Yeah. Situation as it is. Yeah. Well, is there is there anything else you'd like to add before we go eat dinner and stuff? Um. I don't know, maybe that, uh, however, um, in Donetsk, um, people kind of uh, get used to war. Uh, there are still like uh, people also dying all, all days. And um, I think uh, life there is becoming only more and more unbearable. So my dream is to, to see my city free one day and uh, I still have hope for this however not in short-term perspective but I still have hope for this and uh, Slava Ukraini Karim Slava although I think I said it wrong <laughs> you said it fine oh, okay, I'm making progress as a person who has a Ukrainian flag uh, on, on the balcony you are fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah my secret's out um, all right. Well, Katya, thank you so much for joining me. That was really interesting. I'm, I could have no other reaction than to be deeply sorry and depressed uh, for everything that's happening in your country, both the parts that are still under the control of actual Ukrainians and the parts that have been taken by the Russians. Uh, and well, I can only hope that at some point in the future, we get to have a conversation about your country that's a bit less depressing. Uh but in the meantime, thank you so much for sharing with the audience um, this perspective that um, I think I think a lot of us really have not been that exposed to. Um, even those of us who have refugee friends, you know, living in Europe, who have friends from Ukraine, not that many of us, I think, hear the perspective of somebody who comes from the territory that has been under Russian control for the last almost decade. So thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Oliver. Goodbye. All right, there you have it. That's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you like the show as it's coming back, please subscribe, leave a rating or comment, and most of all, please, please do go ahead and share with anybody you think might like it. If you're on Twitter, go follow me at OWS Kendall. That's O-W-S-K-E-N-D-A-L-L. -L. 
feel free to reach out to me there if you have any thoughts about the podcast. I want to just say now a huge thank you to Katya for coming on the show and sharing her perspective with all of us. And as always, thanks to my friend Nate Wright for having designed the podcast artwork and to you for listening. 